Hello and welcome to another comedically questionable episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a guy whose favorite SNL cast member has always been Joe Piscopo, Ken Bagley. Hey, Ken. Hello. I I mean, for the record, that's not exactly true, but... <laughs> not a fan? Have... No, no. He, I, I wouldn't go to him first if I had to list a favorite. <laughs> Uh, the 90s was arguably the best time for Saturday Night Live, featuring a slew of cast members who have gone on to become comedic icons, but the decade also brought us eight out of the 11 SNL movie adaptations, four of which we'll be discussing today. So get ready for a chuckle fest, because this is Saved by the 90s. Trust. An important part of building a family. And an important part of planning his future. That's why I rely on Dylan Edwards and Company. For nearly a century, investors on Wall Street have trusted Dylan Edwards with their financial future. And now all the resources of America's oldest investment firm are available online. Dylan Edwards on the internet at www.clownpenis.fart. <laughs> a lot of investment companies rushed onto the internet, but Dylan Edwards took their time. Sure, when they were ready, there was only one web address left, but it's one you can count on. For mutual funds. Clownpenis.fart. Online brokerage. Clownpenis.fart. Retirement and tuition planning. Clownpenis.fart. The people you trust at clownpenis.fart. <laughs> you have no idea how long it took me to find that. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I do like that you went to specifically look for that one. Yeah, because I always remembered that from when I was younger. And I always thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> I think that it... it really encapsulates the uh, the late 90s dot com boom mm -hmm. uh kicking things off we'll be taking a look at the second snl feature film after the blues brothers which to date is the most critically acclaimed and financially successful of the adaptations directed by penelope spheris and released on february 14th 1992 this is wayne's world from the basement of Wayne and Garth. Excellent. Comes the most high octane. The pickup's gonna blow chugs. Vitamin bag. I'm getting tired of holding this. Shut up. That's what she said. Industrial strength. From this height, you could really hock a loogie on someone. Adventure of all time. Hi, Wayne. It's Wayne. It's God. It's Wayne's world. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. Rated PG-13. Now playing at theaters everywhere. Two slacker friends try to promote their public access cable show. It can, and I think that, I mean, it's weird to me, like, we're starting this episode off talking about Wayne's World. I just feel like we're starting in reverse. We should, we should start yeah. off low and then go high, because <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're, like, you know, doing the heavy hitter first, and yeah. then I we're going to... Start the yeah, downward slope after this. Yeah, we're going to use the ball of our energy talking about how much how great Wayne's World is, and then we're just going to like fall off for the. I hope you enjoy our twenty five minute long episode. <laughs> it's like, like a night at the Roxbury. Everything is going to fizzle out after this, yeah. one, folks. Just to let you know, hundred percent. After this, after this movie, everything fizzles out. Um, I love Wayne's World. I think yes. that Wayne's World is a comedy classic. I loved it as a kid. I went to see this in the theater as a kid. My parents actually took me to the theater to see Wayne's World. And I, I was, I think, nine, eight, eight or nine. 
mm-hmm. and holy cow, I loved it. I had the soundtrack on vinyl. I might, <laughs> I might still have it actually if I went looking. Uh, mm-hmm. So it has a really great soundtrack to it as well. Really hard rocking soundtrack. Uh, it is, it is exactly what I could hope for in an SNL movie. I think that they did such a great job of adapting the the sketch. Uh, I think that one of the problems that you have in adapting a you know two minute long or three minute long or whatever uh, sketch in a, in a variety show like SNL is like. Where's the material there? Like, how can you take something that is often just like a one trick pony? It's like there's one punchline in a lot mm-hmm. of these sketches and they just repeat it in, in, a, in different ways. How can you take something like that and expand it into like a feature length film and, and ha- make it funny, but also give it a plot and also don't deviate so much from the sketch that the characters feel different or anything like that. And I think that what they did with Wayne's world was just, uh, it was just genius. I just loved it. Yeah. I think that it is by far the funniest of the SNL movies. I mean, like hands down, like I was laughing to this day. I mean, it's been years and years since I've seen Wayne's world. And when I was watching it for this show, I was just laughing so much at so much of this. I mean, it's just like rapid fire jokes. And I thought it was just, it's, it really does hold up. I think that it is still tremendously funny. It's a very good movie. This is really good. And that is the kind of the, 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 the thing I want to talk about. And I think it'll be the single most recurrent point of discussion on the episode is the challenges, like just the mechanical and structural challenges in adapting a sketch to a feature. And the second one is going, the point to that is going to be why is Wayne's world so good when the other three are not? <laughs> I mean, really you could say the other like 11 or, or 10. Yeah. Uh, well, specifically the, the, the ones we'll talk about. Yeah. I mean, all, the, the, I feel like SNL movies almost have the same curse that video game movies have where, it's just really difficult for them to be good. <laughs> like they, they're usually going to be pretty rough. Notice there has not been one in, as of this recording, 11 years. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too off topic, but the last one that, that was released was MacGruber. And mm-hmm. I actually really liked MacGruber. I, re- I know people like it. I know people do like it. I rewatched it recently. Uh, I think we had Ryan watch it actually for Ryan watches a movie. And it, I still think that that one holds up. I still th- think that that one's funny. I don't think that it's anywhere close to Wayne's World, but mm-hmm. I think that in the pantheon of SNL movies, to me, MacGruber is like number two on the list. I know a lot of people love the Blues Brothers, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that one just it never really spoke to me. I never thought it was that funny, but maybe mm-hmm. I need to go back and rewatch the Blues Brothers. Anyway, getting back to Wayne's world, I think that what you have here is a a really great director, Penelope Spheris. Uh, she did the the Decline of Western Civilization series, and I think that having her and her like sort of heavy metal hard rock background and her sort of attitude when it came to filmmaking and bringing her on board to helm this movie, I think was a really good decision. And Mm -hmm. it also seems like they just allowed 
Mike Myers and the rest of the the crew to just kind of have creative control over it because there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie that you're that they just you can just tell that they thought it would be funny so they just th- included it like they just put it in there um specifically like all the fourth wall breaking and stuff like there's they're they're breaking the fourth wall throughout the whole movie and some of it is so funny like the uh i mean they're always talking to the camera but the 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 sponsorship thing like the commercials that they would do with the like pizza <laughs> hut and pepsi and all of that stuff i loved all of that i thought it was so funny and yeah yeah uh, no it's it it is the kind of thing that you look at it and you can see how easily it could have been to not working, which is kind of what's so fascinating about it is that we don't need to go far this month to see versions of these, of this, you know, general pursuit that don't work. Uh, I think you really touched on something quite salient by pointing out Penelope Spheris and what she brings to this movie as a director. And I think one of the first clues as to why this works is that it's a, is that she allows the movie to kind of not only depict the characters, but sort of uh, allow, create a movie and a world that exists that allows that, that, and a movie that allows them to exist on their level, where I think the other movies we'll talk about contrast with that. And because there's just a lot of them, the other ones, which is just, Hey, just look at these characters and let's watch them and laugh at them for 80 something minutes. Wayne's world is kind of just more intricately diving into the, the world or just which in this case is just as simple as just letting them be and kind of creating a world around them oh yeah yeah i, I i'm 100 percent. I'm, I'm sure that that's how it was and i think that like when you look she like after after wayne's world she did that beverly hillbillies movie which i didn't i didn't particularly like that one but later on she did black sheep which was uh, between that and Tommy Boy, maybe arguably the best Chris Farley movie, the uh, the classic Farley Spade uh, mm-hmm. team up. I really love Black Sheep, and I think that at some point we'll we'll be discussing that on this show. We have to because it's it's a <laughs> it's a classic '90s mm-hmm. comedy. But uh, I just yeah, I I think that Penelope Spheris is a really great director, and I think that she's a great example of how I think the Hollywood just randomly turned its back on her for, for no apparent reason. And she just never, she just really hasn't been getting any work. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a documentary that came out a few years ago. I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but it was about women directors and they interview her and she talks about how like they just, the, the you know, the work just dried up just randomly and how like all these, I don't, I don't mean to, get too off topic but i feel like it needs to be said like you know you have these male directors that just continuously fail up in the industry and then and then you have solid directors who you know maybe they make like one bad movie or something and it's just they're they're, you know they're just never heard from again Mm -hmm. yeah it's just uh, something that exists at such like this like cultural level at the way that the industry has historically worked and it's terrible and upsetting and we see just so many examples of it and still a lot of that persisting to this day and and which is you know that's the thing you i I keep thinking about wayne's world particularly in contrast to the again the other movies i'm trying to talk about wayne's world without 
building myself up to uh, what comes after. But that, that's the thing is that it's just a movie that exists so organically. Like uh, it's the longest movie out of the four that we're going to be talking about, but it's the one that feels the most comfortable and at just like a basic level. It, it just, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, yeah, it's and, yeah. It's it's still it it is the longest, but I mean it's an hour and thirty four minutes, so they're all yeah, I mean they're all pretty. Ten, it's, you know, they're, they're all pretty breezy, but this one I think even more so. I think that it's just because it's the characters are endearing and they're they're not they're not annoying, you know. Like no, that, that's the thing to to remember. Like a lot of the SNL characters, you can stand them for two or three minutes when they're on an episode of SNL. But once you get into like an, an hour plus, it's like, do I want to spend this much time with these, these people? And uh, sometimes the answer is absolutely no, I do not. I, I, I don't want to spend that much time with these people, but I think that, that Mike Myers and Dana Carvey's characters, Wayne and Garth are just, they're likable. They're just like these kind of endearing, you know, slacker, rock guys that yeah. you just like the characters they're good characters it's yeah they're good characters and it's just two really great comic performances i mean yeah like uh, mike myers in this is i mean he's a comedic genius and i don't understand why uh i'm not sure like if he uh, apparently he's working on austin powers 4 but i'm not sure like what it what state it's in but I feel like mm-hmm. I just want more Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Just just yes. more of both of them. Like I'm not done mm-hmm. with those two guys no. <laughs> because they're just they're so good and and I, just Mike Myers in particular. I think he's just so funny in this and like mm-hmm. just like the uh, the like the the Grey Poupon scene. Like, did you? I was wondering, did you get that reference during that that scene? Yeah. Like, do you did did you ever see the Grey Poupon commercials that that was like lampooning? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to look it up after the show, but it, I I hundred percent do. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, yeah. He was making fun of these these Grey Poupon commercials. What a wonderfully overcasted commercial, too. I like the one with um <laughs> Ian Richardson and Paul Eddington. It's just it's just <laughs> such a weird. It's like a weird concept for a commercial. Like, yes, I don't know. It's like, oh, yeah. like all, 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 of course, the rich. I don't know. Like the, all the rich. Yes, it's assumed that all the rich people have it because it's such a classy spread. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The thing about, and this is not a new observation. I think I was reading some critic who had like a whole thing about this. Um, in you know, uh, comedy that makes topical pop culture references is that he observed. I can't remember who it was, but uh, he observed that they can get a second life as jokes because eventually they will become just not not as much like topical references, but just absurdist moments. <laughs> like if you have no reference point for the joke, yeah, I just looked at that and I thought that's just a such a wonderfully <laughs> strange thing. <laughs> uh, uh, I kind of like it in the context that that, that it, 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 there is no reference like that Wayne just yes. randomly pulled up to that car and mm-hmm. asked the guy if he had grape poupon. Yeah. <laughs> like out of nowhere. 
I kind of yes. like it. I, I like it like that more. There actually were a couple references in this movie, and I can't remember them specifically, but there were actually were a couple that Wayne mentioned because he does that. He mentions a lot of references, and mm-hmm. there were a couple that I did not that I didn't get. Like mm-hmm. there was like one or two specifically um, that I remember thinking, like, who the hell? Who was that that he just referenced? Like, I'm not sure who that was. It's like really, mm-hmm. really obscure stuff from, I don't know, maybe even before my, my generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have Rob Lowe in this as Benjamin Oliver, who, uh, if you're not familiar with the plot of Wayne's World, such as it is, uh, Wayne and Garth, they have this cable access show in their mom's basement, Wayne's mom's basement, and this uh, producer played by Rob Lowe, sees it, and he's like, hey, I can make some money off of these guys. So he decides to, like, cut a deal with them to produce, like, a big-time, a big time, like, cable TV show. And, mm-hmm. of course, they have to sell out, and they are really struggling with that and, and all of that, and, and that's, that's sort of it. It's a, it's a very, it's very light on plot, but at the same time, I think that it suits this type of movie like I think that if you bogged down a movie like this with plot, it would just become too much. And I think that that some of the other SNL movies tend to to do that, where they attempt to translate something that doesn't inherently have a lot of plot, and they try to like tack on this big story, and it just doesn't really work. Whereas I think with Wayne's World, you don't need to have this like really heavy plot you just have to you know we're, we're we're most audiences will be comfortable just spending an hour and a half with wayne and garth you know mm-hmm. just following them around on their like misadventures you know mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be anything major going on here and then of course yeah. you have you have like a love story that's that's forming too between wayne and and cassandra played by tia carrera who She's incredible in this too. She it's does like all, all the all the musical performances. Like that was actually her singing and everything. So mm-hmm. she does a really great job in this too. I was just reminded of the one montage scene when they go to uh, what did they get went they went to Milwaukee, I think. Yes, <laughs> I loved, I loved it, that. It, it, it which you know contains one of the just such a great, great, great <laughs> cameo appearance from. Uh, Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Yep, Alice Cooper's in here. You got uh, Meatloaf did a little cameo too. I'm not sure if you noticed him. He played. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of fun uh, cameos in here. Uh, Chris Farley was in here as well. He plays the security guard. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, I really, I, I was planning on watching the sequel because I saw the sequel in theaters too. Uh, when I was a mm-hmm. kid, I really loved Wayne's World, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, I think I just really liked Mike Myers a lot. I had, I, I have you seen So I Married an Axe Murderer with him or heard of it? I have not. Uh, I had a So I Married an Axe Murderer poster in my room. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's how much of a Mike Myers fan I was. But to be clear, I had a lot of... a common poster? No, it's not a common poster. To be clear, I was not a normal child, and I had a lot of weird... I had a Major League Two poster in my room, so... It's it's not a... I'm looking at at a poster for So I Married an Axe Murder, and if it's the same one as the one that you had, that's not a very exciting poster. Uh, I'll send it. 
Is it the? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if it's the one. I can probably tell you. Oh no no no. <laughs> No, I don't know what the hell that is. That this is, is the poster from Wikipedia. It's an extremely boring poster. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, that is definitely not the poster. Uh, I was about to say, it's just him standing there. Yeah, no. Uh, let me let me see if I can it's find... Just him standing there and Nancy Travis standing in the background. Is it this one? Yes, that's the one. There we go. That's that the... is a poster that you can have. The other one is just a poster... <laughs> This other one is not a very <laughs> exciting poster. Yeah. It's like, I mean, th- I mean to be clear, this one's not very good either. But like, no, it's better. But it, it is at least somewhat more visually engaging than the other one because I was looking at them and it's like, yeah, that just wouldn't work on a wall. I'm not even sure where that that looks like a fan poster or something. I never, I've never seen that before. Uh, at any rate, yeah, that was that's a really good movie too. I think that that's an underrated movie. But all right. Thank, thank you all for listening to our Is This a Real So I Married an Axe Murderer poster podcast. So, yeah, I was going to watch Wayne's World 2, but I, I didn't end up getting around to it. And I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I do remember when I was younger, I was really disappointed with Wayne's World 2. And I, I didn't, I remember not liking it. And I just, uh, after watching the original again and just it, coming off of that one so high, just, and just like, feeling so good about that movie and like i i i was worried that it wasn't going to hold up and that i wasn't going to find it funny anymore and like there were just so many concerns i had about this going into it and to find that i was just like i was laughing so much and my wife never saw wayne's world and she she loved it she was laughing mm-hmm. so it was just a really good experience and i'm glad i didn't sully it with wayne's world too although looking at the Rotten Tomatoes scores for all of the SNL movies. I think Wayne's World 2 is one of the only like three that actually have a fresh score. So mm-hmm. it's it's like Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, and then all the rest are rotten. <laughs> With uh, It's Pat famously having a 0%. I mean, McGruber is... Uh nearly at a, at a halfway point with 48%. I don't know why I keep coming back to McGruber. I have not seen it. I cannot comment on it, but they're working on a sequel. I can't remember if it was a, if it's a show or a movie though, I, but I think it's going to be think it's like, a show. okay. I know it's going to be on Peacock. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I guess I liked, yeah, I'm excited for McGruber to come back. I, I thought that was a really funny movie. Really bad box office performance. It had a yeah, I know. That's not good. <laughs> no, people didn't see it. I I saw it in the theater. I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I, it, I, I can't. I it, can't comment. It's one of those cult movies. It's a. It's yeah. It's like another. It's like Hot Rod or you know the mm-hmm. Lonely Island stuff where they just they for whatever reason they never seem to do good in the theater and then they find their their following later on. Hmm. Uh, any anything else to add about Wayne's World? I just, if you haven't seen Wayne's World, it, it to to me it is the best SNL movie, and I think that it is an absolute must must watch. Yeah, no, I agree. It's very very good. I had an excellent time watching it. I, I think Wayne's World also represents some of the best times of SNL. Like I I know that everybody. You could argue for days about like the best year, the best decade, the best cast, all of that 
with SNL, but mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm like, I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to, to say without a doubt that the nineties are, were objectively the best decade for SNL. Mm-hmm. And we'll, I mean, we can talk about that more as the, as we get into yeah, some of these yeah. other movies, but I don't, I don't think anybody doesn't matter what year you tell me if it's not in the nineties, I'm going to say, no, it's you're wrong. I, I mean, obviously there's always going to be a particular level of reverence for obviously the, like the start of SNL, you know, the first few years that have obtained kind of like this mythical status, I guess, um, for obvious reasons. I mean, it is the start of this thing that the word, you know, it's, uh, that is just become a show that's sort of just a placement in American culture. Honestly, yeah, I mean, like I, I have, I mean, I haven't, like, I almost never watch SNL these days. Like, I'll have phases where I'll go in and I'll maybe watch it a couple weeks in a row and then I'll forget about it again. But if, you know, sometimes when, at the time when it's on, if you just sit there on a Saturday night and think, that's on right now. It just feels like one of those things that you like to know. Yeah, I I, I think that there, I will always enjoy, like, the first few seasons, uh, you know, back before it was called Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You know, it was almost canceled. I think it did get canceled at one point. It was it was gone for like yeah, a, a very famously rocky first yeah. ten years. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was gone for a couple years. Lauren, I know Lauren Michaels left, and then and yeah, then, they, and then they brought him back. Nineteen eighty season that nobody nobody talks about. Well, the, there, and there was that one the one season that had Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. as cast members. <laughs> Like full on cast members, <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, yeah, I mean it's definitely been a tumultuous show for for sure. But I, I think that if you look at the cast list and you go from just ninety to ninety nine, you have it, the nineties runs oh, yeah. the gamut because you're still in that really great uh, like late eighties through the early to mid nineties cast where you have like. Mike Myers and Phil Hartman and then, you know, Chris Farley and David Spade come on board and Adam Sandler and all of these just comedic heavyweights. Um, but then you mm-hmm. also have the transition into like the Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon, Chris Kattan, like that cast, which also mm-hmm. proved to be like one of the most like successful casts. So to me, I think like nineties SNL is just peak peak SNL. Mm-hmm. Anthony Michael Hall was 17 the, when yeah. he joined SNL for that one season. Yeah. Yep. And he was so bad. Uh, I like <laughs> like year, years ago um the entire series of SNL was on Hulu, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was all of them. Or, was it Hulu or was it It was either it Hulu was or Netflix. It. it was either Hulu or Netflix, but it was it was all the seasons including all of the musical performances too i'm I'm pretty sure it was just like the full thing and i was like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna watch from the beginning and i made it through i made it through a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh (laughs) eventually i gave up but uh so yeah i i saw a lot of snl when i was a kid comedy central would play snl during the day like so mm-hmm. summertime, like I would watch tons of SNL and Kids in the Hall. Like that was just my life. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, 
I, I, a few years ago, the, I think NBC, I think for the 40th anniversary, uh, they put out an app that was like a pretty vast archive of SNL sketches. But I feel like before that point, it really has kind of felt like there's like a Disney vault quality to old SNL yeah. where there'll just be sporadic times when it becomes available. And then a little while later, it'll just all vanish again. Uh, I, I wish that there was like, yeah, I mean, you, you can find like pretty much everything, I think. If you look yeah. hard enough, but like mm-hmm. they do some really tricky stuff with like, cause you know, musical performers, yeah. that has always been a bit of a, an issue with like licensing and all of that stuff when you have musical guests. So I know that in the past they've stripped out some of the musical performances, which, you know, usually is okay, but you know, sometimes there's like, crazy events that happen like when the beastie mm-hmm. boys played or uh, elvis costello when he famously performed on there or when rage against the machine performed and they they i think they got kicked <laughs> off after the first song and they didn't let them come <laughs> back for their second song <laughs> yeah uh I mean, an early ex- if we're talking about like the like the the way it synd- like the show syndicates, which is you know never with musical performances, obviously. Uh, an early one of my early exposures to SNL would have been around like turn of the twenty tens. They would have like the video on demand ones that they put to like like the the, the cable box thing uh, would be like very edited down, like the like the versions that they edit to fill like a sixty minute time slot with commercials. Uh, which means obviously no musical performance is usually not even the monologue. Uh, so I, like my early exposure was watching like 42 minute versions of episodes. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. And, and I remember there's always two versions too. So there's, a, mm-hmm. there's an East coast and a West coast version too. So even on demand, when you're watching it, you're not, Yeah, you don't even know which one you're going to get. And then also, yeah, I, I, I think they're not sorry. Yeah. They also cut, they cut some sketches out like I, I know that in in the past there have been like some problematic sketches where, mm-hmm. like somebody drops in the f bomb or something by accident and they'll like uh-huh. cut that out and it, so I think it's really difficult to find like full on like beginning to end episodes that don't that aren't altered in any way. Yeah, I think they have gone to a point where they're showing like they're just doing like the eleven thirty live broadcast on the east coast across the country uh I, yeah i believe what it yeah what it used to be was they would do it live on the east coast and they'd also film the last dress rehearsal earlier than in the night so if something went wrong with one of the sketches on the east coast broadcast they'd swap it in with the dress rehearsal version for the west coast and that would also be the version they'd syndicate which eh. i feel like the qu- i get why I, I, but. I just feel like the, the quality of snl has has certainly dipped over the years I, th- I think most people would agree to that i think that it's in a good place right now i think that that for quite a few years there it was really spotty but mm-hmm. i think they're in an okay place right now it's just funny like at some point over the last like 10 years something happened where like before like when you see old because I-, I watched a lot of like classic 90s SNL sketches when I was kind of diving into these movies and you see the, the, the old sketches and you're just like, damn, they were just, they were on point. They were just firing on all cylinders. And then you watch one of the newer ones and like half the time the actors are looking at cue cards. They're not even looking at each other. So like it'd be two actors yeah. talking to each other and they're just looking at the camera the whole time. And it, 
it's so weird like i don't know i mean i don't know when the, that transition happened but the key uh i mean this is actually another thing i wanted to talk about which is a couple of years ago i went into like a a YouTube rabbit hole, which was, uh, they did a video series, uh, kind of like a behind the scenes of SNL kind of thing, which is really interesting because it's a show of which there really is no contemporary parallel to how it's produced. So if you are someone who is specifically has a level of expertise that is geared towards working on a show like SNL, it is a job you'll have, you can have for like 20 years just because you know how to do this and very few other people in your field probably do or are would be happy to be attuned or have the experience to do it and the cue card thing is interesting to me because i think that's kind of built into the way the show functions like there's a whole video there's like a whole like mini documentary in that series on the cue cards because to my understanding the the way that the show's rhythm is established is that the cue cards is that the is that you're supposed to go off cue cards and not memorize it because the Scripts are liable to change up to the commercial break before the right, sketch goes yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They're they're constantly making yeah. changes and stuff, and that's fine. Like, I don't. I, as far as I know, that they've they've always used cue cards with SNL. But when you see the the classic episodes from even the early seasons up until like th- throughout the nineties, it didn't. It wasn't. They, I guess the actors just weren't making it as obvious. Like hmm. when it's two characters conversing with each other, they they actually were looking at each other rather than looking at the camera and talking to the person that's across from them. Hmm. It's just you. If I, you'll notice it, like it, it's it's yeah. Something... No, I I I think now that you're mentioning it, I can kind of think about that. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, uh, I really if you. I don't know if it, I'm pretty sure it's free, but if you go on to the Peacock website, they have a ton of SNL clips and stuff like classic sketches and collections and stuff. And they actually have uh, like best of, and they, they have each decade. So you can watch like the best of the nineties and see a ton of uh, classic sketches in there. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find that like pretty much all of the biggies that, that you, that, you're aware of happened in the nineties. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, okay. Any, anything else to add about Wayne's world before we move on? No, no. Uh, I probably have more fit, more observations I can add from that documentary series, but I'll just spark. I'll just sprinkle them in through the next. I, I'm few. pretty sure I've seen that too. Yeah. I'm sure I have. Cause I've anything that comes out about SNL, I consume. I'd like to think that yeah, the, the the guy like the guy who's in the booth directing Don Roy King. I feel like I could be. I got strangely fascinated by just like the idea of live TV directing. Like I feel like I, <laughs> I want to apply to become Don Roy King's biographer now because I was so <laughs> fascinated by that. <laughs> I, I think everything about SNL is just. I mean, the, the just the whole production. I've been. Yeah. To, I've been to the set actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you can if you do the NBC tour in New York, they take you to the set. Mm-hmm. And um, they have like right outside the set, they have like glass cases that have like Belushi's uh, B Man outfit and uh, Eddie Murphy's Gumby outfit. <laughs> the Gumby sketches. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just like. I think it is fascinating to hear about, but just because again, like, there's just no. 
show that is comparable to it. So when you're hearing something about how the show is made, it is something about how only this show is made. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure, like, there are plenty of other sketch shows. You know, pl- yes. plenty of sketch shows come and go. Some some are successful, some are great, some are there's, not, you know, but yeah. there's, a, there's a five nominee sketch category at the Emmys every year. <laughs> and there's some good shows in there. Yeah, but nothing can ever seem to stand up to SNL. It's just yeah, none of them are ninety minute live network shows going every week. Yeah, it's 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 so wild. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's if, insane that it's actually still on television. If you yeah, if you if you haven't seen the early seasons of SNL, I would I would definitely recommend watching them because it was a very different show back then. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was uh, they didn't have like. A, format like how they do now where you know you have a musical guest and that does two songs like that it wasn't like that they would have like they would have like steve martin come on and do do like a banjo song and stuff and it was just Mm -hmm. it was a lot different back then Mm -hmm. good oh yeah it was it was good it's still great absolutely worth seeing it's very good and it's very interesting all right moving on uh a a year and a half after the release of Wayne's World, SNL would have its next movie adaptation, this time from popular characters created by the late Tom Davis and portrayed by Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, directed by Steve Barron and released on July 23rd, 1993. This is Coneheads. Paramount Pictures proudly announces a world event. The premiere of an epic motion picture. The arrival of a family unlike any you've ever known. Uh, Coneheads, coming to your neighborhood this summer. Starts Friday, July 23rd at theaters everywhere. Aliens with conical crania crash land on Earth. Whoever wrote that one is is trying to be fun with the alliteration there. Yeah. 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 So, Coneheads. They made a whole movie about the Coneheads. I liked the sketches. I thought that the Conehead sketches were pretty, pretty yeah. funny. But it's it's weird to me when you look at the list of SNL movies, which ones they decided to adapt. You know, like that's always interesting, isn't it? <laughs> like, ah, out of all of the uh, SNL sketches. You, you you choose like, Coneheads. Like, Wayne's World American makes sense. 90 minutes of Coneheads. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne's World makes sense, but, mm-hmm. you know, Coneheads. And, and the, the thing that's even what crazier the... is yeah. Coneheads, the fr- I believe that the first time that we saw Coneheads was, like, in the 70s. So yeah, I was... it, it's, it, decades have gone by since we, yes. <laughs> since that I... sketch first aired. I was just trying to check that. Like, what was the time elapsed between last Conehead sketch and Conehead's movie? And according to this list, it was 14 years. <laughs> the last Conehead sketch and just regular, just appearing on SNL, because, you know, this is a, it's Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd and uh, Lorraine Newman, like the, the part of like the original yeah. cast. So the last one was 79. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so Coneheads first appeared in 77, last appeared yeah. in 79, and then in 93, we have the movie version. 
<laughs> it's just, I mean, come on. <laughs> too, it's too late. Just let him, let, let him go. Like, Coneheads, if they were going to do a Coneheads movie, logically it would have made m- m- most sense for it to come out, you know, 18 months after the Blues Brothers, not... Yeah, exactly. 18 months after Wayne's World. So you have, you know, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Curtin, and you have Garrett Morrison there as a... in a cameo, and then a couple other people from the original cast. Lorraine Newman is in yeah. here. She's in this, she's not playing the yeah. same character. But for the most part, it's uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of the the kind of tertiary characters are like newer uh, SNL people, like Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, and David Spade, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris Farley, of course, is mm-hmm. in there. But there's a lot of people in this. You have Sinbad in here. Uh, who else did I mention? Drew Carey. Which I thought was kind of funny. He's in like one scene. Michael McKean. Really great cast. Oh, yeah. Fantastic cast. Jason Alexander, who plays the neighbor. Mm -hmm. Parker Posey, apparently. I don't remember seeing her in that. I don't either. Joey Lauren Adams? I don't remember seeing her either. Wow. Uh, Kevin Nealon was in it. Jan Hooks. Julia Sweeney. Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, like mm-hmm. pretty much everybody from that current year of SNL was in this. <laughs> like all of the SNL yeah. people were in this. Uh, Dave Thomas. Ellen DeGeneres was in SNL, but she was like at this perfect like crux of like this. Right, was, yeah. was she was like, this is yeah. This is when Ellen was like starting to really hit the yeah hit going the from like time. stand like stand up to uh, to just like being this like omnipotent like media figure who like had a i did did, i don't know did she have her i don't think she had her show yet at that this was i think right before her show okay uh like her sitcom yeah i was pretty sure this was before the the sitcom yeah yeah she was uh everybody loved ellen yeah not not so not so sure about that anymore now oh no heard some heard some awful things uh, and you also have, like, all have by now. yeah, Tim Meadows, yeah. John Lovitz. Just wow, what a what a cast! It's a cast. It's a it's such a cast. Now you, you see a cast like that, and you think, wow, what could go wrong? Well, turns out, <laughs> <laughs> turns out a lot of things. Let me can tell go you, wrong. <laughs> a lot of things can go wrong when you have the Coneheads movie in here. Uh, I, I don't know what to say about this. I didn't really like this mm-hmm. movie. I, it just wasn't funny to me. I'm no, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It just, I didn't enjoy it. Like there were some funny parts, I guess. I like the scene where, where you see like, I mean like the whole shtick here is that they're aliens. They have cone shaped heads and they do silly things. Cause they're like, they're, it's like a fish out of water thing. Yeah. But the thing is like, they're on earth for so long. It's like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't some of the earth trends eventually stick? You know, Hmm. because like the movie takes place when they first crash land, but then it jumps forward in time. And their daughter is like a teenager now. Mm -hmm. And you'd think that they would adopt more like human, human, like qualities and be able to blend in better. But I guess they just have like a, general 
rhythm to where they by which they navigate their lives but it's always kind of pitched at that same level yeah and i mean it leads to some kind of quirky things i mean i remember one of the big things that was in the sketches i believe was that that they like slept upright like vertically and that was like a funny gag and they do that in this and it's just like okay well we've seen that before if we've seen the sketches we we kind of know and they try to expand on it a little bit by you know showing their the remulok their planet and like i don't know that just wasn't that interesting to me and like at the at, again at the end of the day i'll just repeat myself and say it wasn't that funny like it's just no. like the visual gags were not really on point like compared to wayne's world where just that that one scene of Lara Flynn Boyle <laughs> wrecking the bike, I could just watch that over and over again. It's such a dumb scene, but it makes me laugh every time <laughs> to see her flip over that car. Mm. But in this, it's like you have, you know, I, I liked the scene with Jane Curtin being the vacuum cleaner thing. Like that was kind of funny, I guess. But. I don't know. Always great to see Jane Curtin. Oh, I mean, she's she's incredible. Yeah. I love Jane yeah, Curtin. She's, yeah. But it, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I guess the only thing that I really liked about this was Chris Farley. Like, Chris Farley was funny in it. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. like, name something that Chris Farley's not funny in, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, there was an animated uh, Coneheads special that was on, like, it was years before the movie and i remember seeing it on tv like uh i don't know i don't know so it was a while ago and it was i remember thinking that it was not very good back then so i don't know it just not for me uh i don't think that this movie did very well i don't think it was uh let's see what the box office box office gross here 21, 21 million. million debuted at number six at budget according to imdb 33 million so i think we could safely say it lost money yeah and it just i don't know well the whole the whole premise of this is that you have you know the cone heads they're trying to live their lives and then like you have a david spade and um uh uh Oh my God. David Spade and Michael McKean as these like INS people trying to track him down and deport him. And there has been some interesting commentary in, in recent years on like reading Coneheads just along that line because there was, yeah. there is clearly intentional commentary about like the immigrant experience. Yeah. Just, like, and, and, and that, I mean, I've, I've seen this movie before. I think I was a kid when I saw it and I, I guess I never really either didn't pick up on it back then or didn't remember it. But mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. thing to include what is a very clear social commentary on the immigration issue and like how mm-hmm. he wanted to like put co- like sh- collars, like electrical collars on them and stuff and set up mm-hmm. a, like an electric fence around the border and all of that stuff. So it, it felt oddly relevant. Yeah. But I mean, that's pretty much where where that ends like the the, the 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 movie for the most part is just pretty i don't know pretty bland mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really the worst thing that a movie about the coneheads can be isn't it yeah bland. 
yeah, again, I just feel like you have a lot of really great people in this, but it just, at the end of the day, wasn't that funny to me. I mean, again, Farley, I think, was probably the fun, the funniest part. Just, I mean, so much of, yeah. I could have used more Farley, actually, because I think that, Obviously. I think Obviously. that having his character just react to uh, the the various ways and traditions that the Coneheads have I think that would have been really funny because you do get a little bit of that in this and it's consistently funny so I think that having Chris Farley just react to the weird aliens doing weird weird alien things would have made a better movie Uh (laughs) because otherwise it is kind of like the conceptual thing about the Coneheads which is that they're doing they're doing very strange things and it's presented in a very deadpan way, which the, which again, once you move from the sketch format to a feature format, there's only so many times you can do that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it just, it just didn't work. Unfortunately, I don't have anything else to say about Coneheads. I can't recommend it. I, yeah. I like, yeah, I, I like mean, all the people involved. I like Dan Aykroyd. I like Jane Curtin. I think the original sketches were fine, but I think that, translating that into a feature length movie and trying to flesh out these characters. It's just not, it just didn't really work for me. Yeah. Just like the, the, the deadpan, like flat presentation of like the way they're behaving or like the way they're speaking, like it, it's, it's there. <laughs> like it's yeah. there and yeah. And the, and the, the annoyance level for me was much higher in this than in something like Wayne's world where, Dan Aykroyd's character started to get on my nerves where I was just like, I'm done, done with Mm. with him. I like, I get the shtick. He's an alien. He doesn't know how human things work, even though he's been on this planet for like tens of years. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. It's on, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, can't, can't really recommend Coneheads. Recently, one of Subway's best customers suggested we offer our turkey breast sub with chips and a drink at a special price. He also suggested a name for this meal deal breakthrough. Abundant food consumables with potato wafers and enlarged fluid unit. Not bad, but we call it the mass quantities meal deal. It's for anyone who has a hearty appetite. Or like my friend here, comes from France. Get a Coneheads collector cup with a mass quantities meal deal at Subway. The place where fresh is the taste. While supplies last. Our next SNL movie jumps ahead to the latter half of the decade, does it ever, and features Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan expanding on their sketch involving two guys trying and failing to pick up women at a club. Released on October 2nd, 1998, and directed by John Fortenberry, this is A Night at the Roxbury. I broke the window again. Steve and Doug Butabi, they're giving the uncool... You guys want to make out or what? <laughs> a chance to rule. Hey, what's up? Oh, you some typo going on it? This fall, think Roxbury. How you doing? <laughs> a night at the Roxbury. Score! Very nice! Rated PG-13. Everywhere Friday, October 2nd. Two dim-witted brothers dream of owning their own dance club, or at least getting into the coolest and most exclusive club in town, the Roxbury. Can, Can I just say before we say anything uh-huh, else, uh-huh, uh-huh. unassailable soundtrack. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I gotta say, like I've I've been since I saw since I watched this, I've been listening to '90s techno playlists on it's, it's, Spotify, and it's been incredible. It's been it's an incredible of, couple of days. It is just. 
it's great. It's unassailable. Like I said, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just one of the, I just will pull up one of those playlists just somewhat regularly and I just will listen to it. Just yeah, have it on. It's incredible. Uh, so what were your thoughts on A Night at the Roxbury? Not a very good movie. No, no. No, unfortunately, it is not. It is a movie that is not very good, but at the very least, it kind of has a sense of pace. Like, it moves quickly. It is short. And yet, at the same time, it just never really comes to life because it might be based on just the less, the least out of all of these. Yeah, I mean, if you if you remember the sketch... There's not even really dialogue in the, the, the sketches. Wordless. Yeah, it was mostly just the two of them, and then they would typically have like whoever the guest host was that week be involved in some way, and it would just be them doing their head bobbing thing at the club, and it would always be that the same song, the What Is Love song, and then uh, them the like yes, uh, ho- yeah. Hopefully that playing that trailer doesn't like copyright strike this episode but we'll we'll see um <laughs> and then them like aggressively hitting on a woman and then doing their their dancing yes. slash humping thing <laughs> assaulting just, them well they're assaulting them yes, basically it, 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 absolutely and, that, and then that's how it ends that's the entire concept <laughs> it's, it's so it's yeah it's a really really dead simple sketch i'm not gonna say it wasn't funny because those sketches were funny i think i remember the one with jim carrey when they had jim carrey on that that one i think was probably the best one but yeah i did i did watch that for uh, earlier today yeah it's i think that's the best one so you know to take that very simple sketch concept and try to expand it into like a full-blown movie with an actual narrative thread going through it uh i think is probably difficult and and i think that they really just couldn't make this work in any way. Now, to be clear, I thought that there were, there were some scenes in this that made me laugh a lot. No, there are times when it works. And I got to say like, uh, all uh, almost pretty much all of the, the scenes that made me laugh were with Chris Kattan. I think that Chris Kattan, Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to him, like where, like why he fell off, but well, just, he's so underrated. He was mm-hmm. so funny it's, on SNL. Like all of his characters were so funny, and the way what he did with this character, I just just the scene when um when Will Ferrell is he's talking to I believe it's Molly Shannon, and mm-hmm. you see Chris Kattan in the background throwing the flowers in the van. And just like throwing them as hard as he can into this van. And sometimes he's missing it completely, but just watching that happen in the background, I was just laughing hysterically. And then that mm-hmm. on top of, and then right before that was a scene in the flower shop. See, they play brothers and their dad owns a flower shop and they work there. It's like a silk flower shop. It's like the, the most gaudy, horrible looking thing you've ever seen. The scene where Catan is, he's like messing with the phone and he's trying to like uh, run that guy's credit card and stuff. It's so that's, that scene was so funny. He's such a good physical comedian that uh, oh, yeah. I think to me, he was, he was the highlight of this movie. Mm-hmm. I kind of forgot how funny he was. Did you ever see Corky Romano? 
I have not. <laughs> oh my god, that movie. <laughs> it's bad, but it's also pretty funny. It's hard to talk about this movie. <laughs> There's really not a lot to say. They do they do the best they can with trying to give this some kind of plot. So like you have so Will Ferrell's character is like he's like the kind of he's kind of dumb, but at the same time he's he's like the favored one. He he's the one that that the dad likes because he keeps his head down and sort of toes the company line and then Chris Kattan is like the the dreamer. He's like the 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 one who wants to start up the night the new nightclub because they can't get into the the Roxbury. So mm-hmm. they decide they want to start their own nightclub and it just kind of goes on from there and there's like they sort of uh these women think that they're like rich so they start hooking up with them and it's like so there's this I don't know love story angle sort of but I don't know man nothing nothing really works it's worth a few laughs I mean I'll I'll give you that this is another movie that has like a metric ton of comedic actors that you know are pretty funny like the Richard Grieco stuff was pretty funny I I liked I liked Molly Shannon I liked Molly Shannon in this I thought she She is so good in this I mean she's yeah, I mean, we'll have, yeah, we'll talk more about Molly Shannon in just a bit. Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll have ample opportunities to to uh, talk about how great Molly Shannon is in a few minutes. But yeah, Jen- Jennifer Coolidge is in this. Unfortunately, she doesn't really have much to do mm-hmm. at all. She's completely underutilized in this. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's not great. It's not not very great. Yeah, it's it just a movie that you look at and you're waiting for something to happen, but you don't know what it is. Like, it's just a very bare-bones plot that's structured around these characters that, again, it's astonishing that this is one of the, one that, one of the ones that got the, you know, honor, I suppose, of a feature adaptation. And, yeah, it's... it's Never unpleasant to have on. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Which with sounds that. like Sorry, I'm Sorry. damning with with faint praise, but I think counts for something. Yeah, like it is. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable. I think I, I no. found it entertaining. I didn't find myself being bored by it or anything. But I do think that it like kind of loses steam really quickly. I think it mm-hmm. starts off strong with basically an extended version of the sketch. That's that's mm-hmm. sort of how the movie opens, and then like. Like the scene when he breaks the the glass with his head bobbing, I think that's that that was really funny. And but then like if, as quickly as it like picks up steam, it kind of gradually you know loses that, and then we're just left with like an actual movie that we have to get through with these two characters. And you know, it's been a bit of a chore at times. Yeah, they they have to add enough characterization and and of an arc to get through the feature runtime, but it's not, they have to kind of start doing it substantially into the movie. <laughs> and it really doesn't work because it does kind of get, it, it, it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really fit. Uh, I mean, if you contrast this with something like Wayne's world, where that sort of becomes kind of a joke, uh, like the thing about Wayne's world that I wanted to point out is that, um, let me if I can pull up the Wikipedia plot synopsis for Wayne's World. It is 
six paragraphs long, I would say that the last half of like the last four of those six paragraphs describe things that happened in the last half an hour, and the last two paragraphs describe things that happened in the last ten minutes. But that's part of it. That's kind of a joke. Like, like the whole end of that movie, like the whole idea of just like shoving a bunch of plot in at the end, it's done as a joke. Whereas for this movie, it doesn't really have the, it doesn't mean to, to make it a joke, but, and what it does by like weirdly backloading it, is it just kind of the, it's just sort of, it's very bumpy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you have this, like, forced conflict between the two brothers where uh-huh. they, they they pretty much have a falling out, and it's just, like, it feels so, I want to say unearned. It's just, like, no, who cares? Like, oh, they had, a little, <laughs> they had a little fight. And then, like, all of a sudden, Will Ferrell's character is getting married to, to Molly <laughs> Shannon, and it, you're just like, whoa, what? Like, they, eh? It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's very, very messy. And the thing is, like, you know, with Wayne's World, you had just like joke after joke after joke after joke. And like Mm -hmm. 95% of them were landing. But in this movie, you have these little lulls. And then you have like lots of attempts, but not, but most of the stuff just doesn't land. And. I, it just feels so half-hearted and and like disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> the the points in this movie where it tries to most seriously build up its characters radically overestimate the degree to which it has done any work thus far to do so, and also radically overestimates the degree to which we honestly care that much about the finer details of it. Yeah, and and I think that. Sort of like what I was talking about with Wayne's World, the Butabi brothers are not near, nearly as endearing as no. Wayne, Wayne and Garth when, when you look They're at it. Like, not even in the same ballpark. Like, you just don't, you don't care about these guys. They're, they're by design, they're like greasy, kind of you know, sleazy douchebags. Uh-huh. And so I think that making them sort of compelling characters is the, a, a difficult thing to do, especially when you look at the 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 um, the sketch. You know that this is based on like those. They're always striking out because they're such losers. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not. We're not supposed to like these characters. We're not supposed to empathize with them. So they create a feature length movie where we are supposed to do that. Like we want to see them succeed or we're we're supposed to want to see them succeed. And I think that's a difficult thing to do when by design, these characters are not likable and you want to see them fail because they're, yeah, they're like predators basically. Yeah. It just makes this critical mistake and a critical mistake that a lot of people make when they're talking about movies, which is that, your protagonist has to be likable or that you want to have good things happen to your protagonist by extension here. And no, you don't. Right. <laughs> like they're not, I, I mean, I don't know. I like, I get. I guess I just didn't care. I just, I didn't care that they decided to try to make these guys sympathetic and try to, make us want to root for them 
because it's also on what grounds like yeah. like where is this characterization coming from it just sort of is assumed to be there by virtue of them being the main character i just thought of this like where's their arc you know like where where did they learn in this movie where do they learn to not be douchebags and awful to women like where where does that where does that happen in the, in this like there's no there's no learning moments they they basically at the beginning of the movie are assaulting women in a club and by the mm-hmm. end of the movie they're realizing like we got too far away from where we were we got too far away from our roots we got to come back together and everything mm. works out for them and they get everything they want <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like there's no learning here <laughs> uh, you know it's uh... It is a movie that is doesn't that isn't too long that does have good moments that has a good cast but it just never comes anywhere close to honestly taking off so it just yeah. is there it's just something that exists on the screen yeah and again I'll reiterate Catan was great in it so oh very good very good all right that is a uh, night at the Roxbury. Mm-hmm. Our final movie this month is only the second female-led SNL movie coming out five years after its Pat, hitting theaters on October 8th, 1999, based on the character by Molly Shannon and directed by Bruce McCullough. This is Superstar. Paramount Pictures presents... In association with SNL Studios. What are you doing with your hands? Sometimes when I get nervous, I stick my fingers under my arms and I smell like that. Superstar. I wouldn't say superstar anymore because some people might say that you super suck. A nerdy Catholic schoolgirl, Mary Catherine Gallagher, dreams of superstardom. Adam, do you want to start us off with... Well, I think that the end of that... At the end of that trailer... Uh, pretty much sums up how I feel about this movie. The fact that that was like a joke where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you, sh- you shouldn't say superstar because then people are going to say you super suck. Like, that doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, that joke <laughs> it just falls so <laughs> flat. And I feel like so many of the jokes in this movie also fall very flat. And uh, like Coneheads, I didn't find... I, I think I laughed like maybe once or twice during this movie. It is not funny. This movie is just not funny. No, I mean, it did make me laugh in the trailer because it was like, oh, wait, that's the joke that the trailer's ending on. Like the, the things that are funny are things that, th- that the character Mary Catherine Gallagher is known for. Like she's yes. like the, the armpit thing that we heard in the trailer, like, and just the, 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 uh, Pratt falls that she does like the clumsiness and stuff like that and the awkwardness like th- those are all character traits that we see in the you know three minute sketch on SNL yes. when you try to throw in other jokes into the mix that involve other characters and situations uh, this movie just to me at least uh, fell completely flat and I didn't enjoy it at all I, I don't I'm not sure if I saw this movie previously I I don't remember it if I did, but mm. yeah, I, I love Molly Shannon. I think the character is very funny. I like the character, but that's like where 
my praise for this movie pretty much pretty much ends yeah i mean yeah you kind of have to come at it with two different i think i can kind of conclude think about the movie two different ways if i think about it from two different starting questions now if is that if it's the one about the just getting to watch a comedy led by molly shannon playing a character that she was very you know well acquainted with playing by this point yeah i mean it's i just conceptually that sounds like a great idea to me in terms of taking the sketch character and putting her in a feature film where there must be some kind of narrative apparently i mean there doesn't have to be a narrative but this movie has decided there has to be a narrative it doesn't really work no i mean the narrative in this is so thin like there's just there's nothing there's nothing to latch on to here. Now, to be, to be clear, uh, as you said, there doesn't have to be like a strong plot or anything like that. I mean, Wayne's World had a very thin plot, yeah. but there's nothing. I think that if you, if you have a movie that, that is very light on plot and sort of just meanders and focuses more on moment to moment things with specific characters those have to be really strong. Like you need to have a lot of really good comedic set pieces and like a lot of really great banter and dialogue and all of this stuff that will keep us engaged. I mean, I think that a movie like dazed and confused is a good example of this where there's not really a plot in dazed and confused at all. You're just following these characters around on like the last day of school, but it keeps the audience engaged because the characters are good and the set pieces are good. And you just like spending time with these people. And I think with superstar, it's like, mm-hmm. there's just nothing going on for me to really latch on to. There's a few funny moments here and there, but for oh, the yeah. most part, you're just like, mm, I just, I don't know. I mean, like the, the tree, the make the tree scene where she's making out of the tree, like that's funny, but you know, it's like one small, small moment in, in this. Yeah. It, it's like moments like that. It's are kind of where the movie shines because it's a, can be made up of those moments where it's just like talented comic actors doing stuff. It's just when the movie gets to a point where it has decided that it must take this character and create this relatively uh, relatively active plot around her. Like, there's just a plot where there's just more going on than you expect there to be. And no, it's because it's just trying to put this character into a context that it's not, that just doesn't need to be. I think that you had an opportunity here to make something I think that that might have like a cult following. You have Bruce McCullough directing it. Now he's, if you're familiar with kids in the hall, he's one of the kids in the hall. Mark McKinney's in here also from kids in the hall. If so, if you have like Bruce McCullough involved now, I don't know how much actual like creative control he had over the project, but Mm -hmm. to me, it seems like this movie would be perfect to be one of these super weird, like if you're familiar with kids in the hall, like their sketches were a little off kilter, you know, like they, they were going for the sort of more absurdist comedy where they would just have a lot of weird stuff in their mm-hmm. sketches. And I think that if you did that in this context, I think that it would have been really 
funny and unique and i think that it would have been an easy like cult cult film where just have you know just just have it be like um mary Catherine gallagher going to school and just her daily life and then just have all this like weird crap happening all the time like people acting mm-hmm. weird i mean you have tom green in here like that's a good opportunity right there you know tom green it, it was at the time was known for his sort of absurd like out there style of comedy and just like go nuts with it you know i think that that's the problem is that this movie plays it way too safe and at the end of the day it feels like just uh it's it's all very the the comedy is just very surface levels it's it's almost dull like the jokes are telegraphed everything you expect everything to happen the way it does and you're just like there's just Mm. nothing unique about it whereas i think that I don't know. It felt like a missed opportunity to me. Yes. Like, this is a character. Like, a Mary Catherine Gallagher sketch has her overzealously auditioning for just anything that she can by usually reciting a monologue from a TV movie. uh, And then having an ending by Molly and just taking these incredible, like, like falls through walls and like into like giant rows of like folding chairs and like that that it should not like that should have been like that is a perfect as you were saying a perfect ideal starting point for just like something truly just spectacularly weird yeah and just make it bizarre like yeah let's let's go nuts with it get let's get weird you know we have an adult woman playing a child who in and of like that character in and of itself is a strange character. You know, she's an oddball character, like make her home life really bizarre. And Mm -hmm. let's just, let's just go out there with it. But but they, again, I will just reiterate. I think they played it way too safe with this. You look at this character and you look at Molly Shan is just really great performance that she's really trying to bring out with this character, but it's just, there's just not enough there. The material just does not support that. Nah. And Will, and Will Ferrell is not, like, his character is not particularly funny in this either. He just plays this kind of Sky Corrigan <laughs> character. <laughs> it's a great name. It is. It is a great name. There's some great character names in this, but... Yeah, you have Harlan Williams in here as Slater. He doesn't even talk, really, so he's kind of mm-hmm. wasted. Yeah, the as far as like the cast goes, uh, I think that this is probably the weakest of the bunch. I mean, obviously, the the principal cast is good, but you don't have like that you know crazy amount of SNL people in here, like in some of the other ones. No, no, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, it. I can't. I don't close, really. I don't recommend Superstar. I just no. I just, I just can't recommend it. Close to some fun trivia, which is. Uh... I believe Molly Shannon's Instagram on uh, handle is a reference. I think she, or on Instagram she's like at the official superstar uh, or something close to that. And a few days ago, she did uh, post. Um, there was some meme that went around where it was it featured like a clip of that great scene where she says to uh, uh, Glennis Johns's uh, character, uh, "You're horrible!" Like. 15 times and keeps slamming the door and opening up to say it again. Yeah. And she said that, uh, so she saw that meme and she did add that, uh, apparently when they were shooting that, uh, she, uh, slammed the door so hard on the last time that it came off the hinges. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a fun fact. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not without its moments, but 
overall, I think that it was eh, for, forgettable. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Anything before we close it off this month? Uh, I would just reiterate 90s is the best decade for SNL. Hands down. <laughs> Fight me on it. I don't care. It's the best decade. Look at the cast list. You'll see all all of the major players, except for like you know, maybe maybe some of the some of the early you know like Belushi and Aykroyd and Radner and and Murray Chase. Obviously, they're not included, but mm-hmm. still, you still have like everybody from the Will Ferrell era. Kevin Nealon, all of those, all of those people. Mm-hmm. And you even have like, there's even like some people who were on for like one season, like Sarah Silverman and like a lot of like these kind of random comedians that I think a lot of people forget were cast members on SNL. Mm-hmm. That's actually a kind of interesting, that, that's sort of an interesting place to be if that's in your past as a, uh, as a comedian. Yeah, I mean, odds are if you were on for one season, you you got fired. <laughs> like, something happened there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that people leave after one season. I mean, I guess it's possible if they got, like, a show or a movie or something, but unlikely. Yeah. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it for this month. Let us know your favorite 90s SNL cast members and sketches by dropping us an email at 90s at filmpulse.com or sending us a message on Twitter or Facebook at 90s pod. And if you have a moment, please consider dropping us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate that very much. Till next month, for Ken Bakley, my name is Adam Patterson. This has been Saved by the 90s. Bye, everyone.